Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, episode 21, The Future of Sport, here on All in Sports Talk. Delighted to welcome back, in fact, Stephen Burke, who's my special guest today. And really, I don't want to sound in any way kind of patronising here, but Stephen needs no introduction whatsoever. I had the privilege of meeting Stephen for the first time a few months ago uh, at the SEAT conference in London, Twickenham. And that's really how, Stephen, I'd like to start off our conversation, because I know you've just jetted back uh, from Atlanta and the SEAT conference there. So tell us all your things and thoughts on everything to do with SEAT and the Sport and Entertainment Alliance conference. Okay, Alan. Well, first of all, thank you for welcoming me back, and, and you're very flattering. You're very kind. Thank you. Uh, so, I've been involved with SEAT Conference now for, for three years, and I've been to each of the editions in the UK. Um, so that the first one was at, at Lords, which was the first time that SEAT had been taken out of the US, where it's got a very firm foothold. All five major sporting franchises, uh, leagues over there are heavily involved. They have their own closed-door sessions around it. So it's really a coming together over there, and, and it's very strong. Uh, it's been going for 11 years. The, the thing with SEAT is that it's really crowdsourced content from within the, the peer community of sports professionals. So what that means is that the, the CEO and founder of SEAT, Miss Christine Stoffel, who, who herself was a CIO at different... Uh, franchises in, in the US, sporting franchises, brings together people to collaborate on putting the agenda together. So it's not, it's different from trade-based okay. events where the content is put together and, and maybe even as a platform for the interaction between vendors and the sporting professionals. This one is put together for the sporting professionals. Vendors are, are welcomed in on the basis of the case studies that they can provide and the value that they can add rather than being that, that sales part. So it creates a, a different environment, but more so it creates rich content. And when, when I look back on the progression of the content that's been covered over the, the three years, both on, um, on both sides of the Atlantic, one, one of the things that I really do notice is uh, the, the rise of esports. And a couple of years ago, the, there was a lot of electricity in, in the room when uh, esports was being talked about. And we, we fast forward, you know, in, in a short period of time, now there's not that same buzz about it. People know that, that it's big and it's here. But now that sports are actually getting into it, they're realising that, that it's hard work. You know, these mm. these gamers uh, are a different breed than, than the athletes that they've dealt with before. Because it's a digital first activity also, there's no real location where the, the esports people are centred. You know, it's, it's a global thing. So you don't have, you know, if I'm following Liverpool, for example, yeah. you know, I'm passionate, first of all, because I'm, I'm from that region and then yeah. it grows out from that. So you don't have a, a real grounding for, for these things. So people are understanding that it's a channel of activation like a Facebook or a, another social platform is because you're doing it for for the, the reach, the awareness, the content that you can generate. But it's a, it's a far, it's a, something that you have to work far more hard on. And uh, so it, it's been an interesting progression, you know, and timeline. And, and, and that's one of the things with, with SEAT and, and, and continuing to, to go back there. And I'm, I'm a, on the global advisory board now is, is that you're able to check in and see those, <laughs> those trends. And you know, one of the things that, 
you know, I'm really interested in is is digital and the way that it impacts sporting organisations from from the top all the way down. And so that one is just a, a an anecdote to show how rapidly that. Uh, things do move in the digital economy. I mean, Stephen, can I just pause for a moment there? There are so many strands and themes and tenets from what you've already said, and and I knew that would be the case, and we can develop those um, through our interview today. Let me just go back. I mean, when you talk about the alliance and the way uh, SEER has grown over the last three years or so, or your involvement in it, what struck me most of all, and I echo the resonance from some of the things that you've already said, when I visited uh, and went to Twickenham, I knew lots of people there, but the engagement and the intensity of just that familiarity, that need to exchange, to share, uh, and, and it was relaxed and I, I get that feeling that the, the way it's been organised, the way it's emanated, the way it's evolved, there's no sense of pressure or that artificial salesmanship sometimes that you do get. Probably, you know, it's to be expected with lots of conferences that you go to because conferences, let's face it, are sponsored, are, you know, they do need commercial partners, etc. But that was so, so noticeable. And the other thing that I think was really very good about it was the necessity, I think, to see the global perspective on everything and how the emergence, I think, of new trends and fashions within our great business, the sport and entertainment industries and the business that we're in. So what have you probably learned most of all from your most recent experiences? Talk us through a little bit, maybe, uh, Stephen, uh, of, of, of what you did at... Uh, at Twickenham and what you've just done maybe or what were some of the currencies and, and, and the themes coming out of Atlanta where you've just come back from Okay, one of the things that I did at Twickenham and because of its success where we roadshowed it over to the US okay. version as well was a, a panel called Innovation is Core Business and so we, we switched out the, the, the different players on, on session yeah. of course but the, the key themes were, were, were still the, the same is that innovation so important like innovation has always been that the need to um the, the thing that that you're going to grow through and really starting with with its definition which is to to create additional value in, in a process or to create a new process uh, and, and so franchises and teams and leagues have, have really been grappling with with the way to organize their their innovation when we had one case study um from Orlando Magic, who actually okay. have a, a director of innovation, and they have a an innovation lab, and innovation is one of their core values within the organisation from from the top down, and that was one of the, the clear takeaways for me across both uh, sets of panels. But if you don't have the, the leadership backing innovation and encouraging ideas to come through the organisation and have a way to enable those ideas and to have a culture where people aren't afraid to fail. Actually, Jeff Bezos said that an interesting thing last week. He, he said that innovation and failure are twins. So you, you need to be able to have leadership say, okay, we've got to try things. We've got to push ourselves further now because everyone else is doing it. It's really competitive. And some organisers 
organizations are doing it because it's going to create a, a PR thing. You know, they might yeah. be the first ones to, to try VR goggles or something like that. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but they, they're trying it for, for a PR site. But when it works best, it works best because it's really aligned with, with the strategy and the core values of the organization and how they see themselves and how they want to be projected outside. So that was uh, one of the things, you know, that, that I had a, a deep connection with across both sessions. But there were other things that really resonated with me at the, the US version, which, you know, to be fair, you know, they, they talk things uh, probably on a different level. Uh, in, in a different way than, than the, the UK version because it's such a, a big sports market and, you know, they talk it in, in a very uh, commercial way, in a very uh, a, a way that's that's open to, to an engagement, but also a way that's that's open to sharing. You know, that they, they're very open people and that comes through in that, uh, that culture of seed and you touched on it before. Yeah. One of the mottos of seed actually is leaving your ego at the door and that's why people will... <laughs> I mean, can I just, sorry to interrupt there, we can continue this. Can I just make a comment there, because I think it's so fresh in my mind from what happened at Twickenham. Um, I think it was a, a, one of the panels with Jeff Wilson and Ben Wells. And it was very, yeah, it was highlighting the success of Brighton and Hove Albion. And one of the things that came out, I love this Jeff Bezos quote, you know, innovation and failure of twins, because the cultural and the leadership down and letting people express themselves. And there was a comment made that I responded to that sometimes, you know, people... Uh, go out, they come, they, they have all these great ideas, they're really excited, they go back to base, and they're kind of almost nullified by saying, you can't do that, or do you really mean we want to do those kind of things? And, and I think once we break through that barrier, and once you're able to try these things, you know, I think you've just alluded to it there. I spoke to Bill Sutton in my last interview about, uh, you know, virtual reality and how it's going to go, and the kind of problems that maybe just putting a pair of goggles on at the moment but when people start to accept that and the culture change watch this space so how we move on so there's just some i think very important reflections there for me and i'm sure in what you've suggested stephen that's the way forward you know don't be you know don't fear fear be prepared to experiment and to change the world and now is that if we don't disrupt ourselves, others are coming along doing that, and it doesn't even have to be from within sport. So there was a great takeaway that that I got from one of the sessions okay. uh, was taught was in a CRM session, and we were learning from people who were experts from other industries apart from sport, and that's a great thing to do as well. But it, one of the panelists made the observation that you know. With personalization, we're not just competing against, okay, who else is in our league and how, how well are they doing that, mm. that business to person connection? No, we're actually all mini Amazons now. That's our challenge. We, we need to be as personalized as Amazon can make that engagement and that interaction. And, you know, with machine learning and artificial intelligence coming now, that's going to push further and further in, uh, you know, the business pushing closer to, to the, the individual. So, you know, all of those things that are happening outside us in the general digital economy, they're the high tide mark. And so that's why innovation is so important. 
I mean, Stephen, when we talk about, I mean, this is fascinating to me. You know, we've we've had some chats over the last few weeks off air and various other things, and, and, and you know, I'm I'm sure we could make a an interview last all day. But kind of just segueing very nicely here and, and about this challenge of not being afraid and. I read a recent article of yours, uh, a very exciting and, and a very illuminating article uh, that you posted on LinkedIn, where you assert, and without me questioning too much at the moment before I let you respond here, the statement almost why sport is the most disruptive of or disrupted of all industries. Tell us a little bit about the origins of the article, and then maybe as you go through, I can pick up or we can both pick up on some of the themes of that article. I'm relentlessly reading, and you know, I think that the only way to, to stay abreast of the, the dynamic pace of the sports industry is to consume okay. uh, content that's related to, to you or your area or areas that are related from other verticals and, and so on. So, you know, within that voracious appetite for knowledge, <laughs> I, I come up with uh, some sometimes some some points that, that I really want to get out and get get across. And so I put a put an article together. Uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was on the plane to Atlanta, so I had a few spare hours to to uh, jot some ideas down. And so the the, the premise of the article is that uh, we're at a, a, an inflection or a tipping point now where audiences are getting older in yeah. sports, and, and we see that across the globe. And at the same time, the people who are younger are, are really getting a lot harder to attract because sport isn't their, their go-to activity or attention grabber anymore. Things like competitive gaming, uh, hanging out on, on social media, video on demand like your Netflix or YouTube and then those kind of things. And we see that they're picking up YouTube stars before they're picking up on sports stars now. So their role modeling is happening in a digital world. So we've got two things happening where the, the age of viewers uh, of the sports, and I can give you some figures, for example, the, uh, the NHL, like the average age has, has increased by uh, seven years since 2006. Uh, NASCAR is up nine years. The PGA uh, and tennis are, are up five years. So wow. the only ones performing really well are Major League Soccer in the US and also NBA, who have a, a really good globalization okay. um, program as well. But everyone else is you know, like the, probably five years. You know, the, the age is increasing five years in, in the past uh, few years. So we've, we've got all of these things happening. And then we see that, you know, linear TV is not necessarily the go-to TV anymore. Viewership from Olympic Games, from the previous Olympic Games to the, the uh, Rio version dropped 25% wow. in that millennial age bracket. Yeah. And we know millennials are the ones who are uh, competitively gaming and, and following esports on uh, Twitch and other platforms like that. So, you know, sport has to find new ways. But the, the, the point that I, I made, and, and I was reflecting on a comment that uh, the, the Microsoft CEO, Satya Nadella, uh, mentioned when they partnered with Real Madrid uh, a couple of years ago now, so Microsoft and Real Madrid come together. And, and at the time, the, the, the Real CEO said that they view themselves now as a fan company because 95% of their followers are actually outside of Spain, so they're yeah. never going to touch them directly within the stadium. And so that's a, a big shift that globalisation has had. And yeah. so 
Satya has said that sport is the most disrupted of all industries. So then, you know, I, I wanted to, to take hold of that uh, statement and, and study it a little bit more and come up with some, some reasons why that would be. Let's look at some of those reasons then. I, I, I know I think you list five reasons why this should be the case. One of those that I think I was very interested in, because we're talking digital here, and, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, Stephen, but you kind of almost surmise, suggest that one of the problems sport has, it still almost lives in an analogue setting rather than a, a digital setting. And the kind of, and I mean, you've touched on it with e-sports as well, that, you know, there isn't, you know, a, a traditional, Wimbledon or Twickenham in my space here in the UK, you know, uh, and that sport has tended to be fixed in the past. So there are some over, you know, th th there are some barriers there, I suppose, for want of a better expression, to get sport really transforming and, and developing into a real digital perspective. But maybe you can make reference to some of the points you make in the article there uh, for my audience today, if you would, Stephen. Well, so starting with that then, Alan, the, yeah, the, the notion that, that sport is analogue in a digital world is m meaning that, that in its purest sense, so in the moment that, that the ball is being competed for or the rally is going yeah. or whatever the, the sporting competition is, that, that's, that's just pure sport. Yes, there, there may have been before that data and analytics and performance science and those kind of things touching the people to, to prepare them, but in those moments... That's a fixed point in time. So yeah. Wimbledon is on at this time. Like we know, if we want to watch Roger Federer, we've got to watch him at 5 p.m. on the Saturday of the last weekend at Wimbledon, for example. We can't change that, even though the whole economy is going on demand. So if if I want a taxi now, I'll go. I'll find out where the closest Uber might be, or yeah. or if I want something, I'll. I'll just order it on, on Netflix and, and binge on, on the, the series or what we want, what we want now. And Brian Solis, uh, a digital anthropologist, has a, a nice saying when we said he's, that digital has created accidental narcissists, <laughs> where, where, you know, which I really like. Because Brilliant. Now, like, yeah, now we are just craving things when, when we want it. And the new generations, you know, from millennials to, to Gen Z and, and the ones coming up, you know, beyond that, are going to be even more primed for these types of things because the, 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 the knowledge that is now embedded in digital and the way that it can react is it, uh, react, it, it's just pushing the, the boundaries further. So the thing that is happening with, with products out in the world, and I use Gatorade because I think they're a good example because they used to be analog in that you used to have to go to the store and get a, a, a Gatorade drink off the shelf, you consume it, then, then then the experience is done. But now they've put sensors in their bottle cap, which means that the, the the whole experience can be extended. So what they wanted to do was become the athlete's hydration partner. So now, yes, you go to the store and get the Gatorade, but you can drink, you can get feedback on how hydrated you are at different times of day, at different levels of activity and so on, because it, it's connected in, into the app. Gatorade is now telling you how you're going. It's share. It's able to extend the experience, share the experience, get to know you more, and so that's the real essence of, of digital. And 
we, we see sports doing this as well now. And so that's why sports are now starting to feel like media producers because we've got social channels that are going around. Okay, we use that Roger Federer example again. We, we can we can touch in. We, we can build up to the experience on social media. We, we can then. Uh, in, in real time, if we're not there, we, we can be watching uh, the stats coming through as well. You know, Wimbledon does an excellent job on uh, on that side of things. Yeah. And they've actually now developed up with artificial intelligence uh, cognitive highlights where, based on the, the crowd's reaction, they, they work out, well, they're the best points to, to show the rest of the, the world, you know, on the, the, the TV footage highlights. So we've got, we, we can see that we've, building out a whole digital dashboard of options that people can now check in at any time. Yes, we've still got the analog product, but where we do have some control around the experience that we want to have beyond that. But that, I think, is one of the core reasons why sport is being so transformed. I mean, Stephen, I mean, again, just like I've reiterated so many times and will continue to do so every time we have a conversation you know, you, you, you've, you've just made some comments there. Wimbledon, for example, uh, I'm doing some work at the moment with Wimbledon and, and, and in a future event, which I'll talk to you off air later about, uh, we're going to Wimbledon. We're going to look at the IBM and the way that, that they've almost resurrected a brand new opportunity to extend, you know, the Wimbledon brand way, way outside tennis, way, way outside just the two weeks of Wimbledon. Many of those considerations that you talk about. Also, I was reminded, literally, when you talk about the Gatorade experience and the kind of touching of the bottle and many other things, um, in, a, in, in a kind of early days with my students talking brand management with them, I, I always pronounced a guy called Martin Lindstrom, I don't know whether you've come across it, written a seminal text called Brand Sense, and it talks about how much, in fact, you can extend the value of a product and talk, start talking about some of the ways in which consumers or, or those ways in which you can extend the brand's effectiveness and how important. I, I think Nike did some experiments with putting little scents into the shoes and how much difference it made. So it's amazing how that cycle now, innovation, changing landscape and all of the things and I think you've already highlighted many of those instances with your very uh, insightful article that you've talked about here can we kind of not close here but let's kind of come into a final segue segment here the importance of education the importance of global and in our case, and me particularly in sport business education, tell us a little bit about your uh, developments there. I know you've worked with iSport here, uh, and I think you've probably got some very exciting news on that for my audience, for your listeners and your people over there. Tell us a little bit about your involvement there, if you would, Stephen. Okay, iSport or Institute of Sport is a brand new platform, so it's it's a digital offering uh, for the digital age, I, I guess. The, the unique concept that uh, Dr. Dave Arthur uh, has put together is that he wants to crowdsource the content from uh, across the globe. So you know, I mentioned um, innovation specialists that we had on panel, so maybe one of them could put together a, a program of content coming from sports side, so a sports practitioner to sports practitioner 
uh, access on this on this platform, which is a website. Uh, you know, it has has blogs and other information that people can access as, as free content, and then it has a, a premium content area and courses are available for for purchase online there and in fact I, I just got off a call with Dave and he advised me that my course has gone live so I put together a course called uh, um, sports strategy and digital the, the data model story and it's, it's two years in, in the making uh, but getting back to your point Alan education is, is imperative now it's it's the only way that organizations and careers can progress and in fact I've been around uh, CEOs in different organizations or I've, I've had other people talking to me uh, you know maybe they're they're millennials or, uh, or, or maybe they're just uh, you know, they could be of, of other ages as well but they're, they're saying that you know their organization just isn't getting it or doesn't get it and right. you know, they see all these opportunities outside but they feel that they're, they're too constrained because the people uh, in, inside just aren't connected to the opportunities but not just the opportunities really the, the business case for why the organization needs to transform and whether it's by setting a, a strategy that, that's relevant in the digital age and connecting that to the people you know we, we know that for example social media which is everywhere now and is getting to, to quite a mature point even to the the, the point that sports organizations are now seeing themselves as media companies but we, we know that from research that 30 percent no more than 30 percent of organizations are actually connecting their, their social objectives to their organizational objectives so that the, the whole organization isn't yet fully buying into digital and digital transformation okay. or at least an update uh, of their, their their business model so education it's the only way. And th this course that I put together, I called it the data model because I, I started with uh, D for Disrupted where I explain all of the, the different technologies uh, in the digital age and the impact that they're having on, on business in, in a layman's terms. I'm not a, a technologist at all, but, you know, we, we unpack what the Internet of Things is, what cloud computing is, what mobile computing is, uh, the impact that social media has had, data and analytics. Uh, and then these new technologies of artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, so that people can understand, okay, that's why everything is happening so quickly and so dynamically, because all of these or, or different parts of each of these digital drivers are able to connect and startups or technology organisations or even sport businesses themselves are taking hold of those digital drivers and creating new products and new opportunities that particularly are, are driving that personalization of the fan experience and, and athlete development. And then we go down to the, the next part is, is A for adapted, which is aligning the organization. So now that the digital economy has been around for a while, there's, there's a fair bit of research out there and looked at that research. There's a number of contours, if you like, of what a, a successful organization in the digital age will be. And we know that from this research that fewer than 25% of all organizations can be considered mature. So we know that people are probably not quite um, being as effective as they can be. You know, more than 50% of people don't have the tools that they need to do their job. 10% of organizations only are dealing with data well. So there's a lot of challenges. And rather than 
looking at things in an ad hoc way, if, if leadership or, or even people within the organisation are able to understand their organisation within the context of the digital economy and what a good organisation structure and methodology needs to be, then that can be really impactful for the organisation. And then once that part is organised, we move on to T for, for transform, which is when the organisation is starting to react to the outside world better. So the social media, the digital marketing practices uh, and strategy are well organised, aligned to the, the whole of the organisation uh, and monetizing digital uh, content, it, um, developing what's called social leadership uh, as an organisational capability is important. And then the final A for uh, action, which is the, the analytics uh, side of the, the digital economy and how that uh, getting your data organised is, is fundamental. Ray Wang, who's a leading digital analyst, says that if you don't have a business model founded on 20%, founded 20% on data, then you're going to be completely disrupted within a few years' time. So, but data is really hard. Even the most mature of organisations, only half of them deal well with their data. So, and it's a real challenge in terms of getting the right talent, yeah. um, but also keeping them skilled up and having the right projects so that the the, the data and the analysts can really come to the fore. So that's the the, um, the, the whole model uh, in, in essence. But as I said, it, it's taken two years. It covers 30 different modules, and uh, you know, there's a lot of content there now. I mean, Stephen, if I may, uh, I mean, I want to continue here because I think you've thrown up one or two uh, questions and answers. You know, we can put them both together in many ways, you know, um, Industry can complain, industry can say, you know, the future generation, the generations coming through are unskilled or are not skilled enough to deal with the relevancy of the marketplace. And even if they were, sometimes knowledge is not everything because you've got to apply that knowledge. Now, in that context, Stephen, I'd like you maybe just to give me some summary thoughts because... The global business education sector may be a little bit like some of the, uh, the the commentaries that we've made or the comments that we've made here about, you know, has sport adapted, has sport industry adapted through uh, data, through social media, uh, you know, through analytics. And this gap needs bridging. An interview that I've done, which will be on the show alongside yours, uh, is with a guy called Jonathan Sibley, who's done some research, and he's basically an event marketer and event management uh, specialist at Manchester Metropolitan University. And he's now talking about the relevance that students will say to him, yes, we need academic underpinning theory textbooks whatever but more importantly what we really need is how we're going to do it when we go out like they are doing with manchester city and do case study work do practical work and so on how do you see and obviously your course hopefully not hopefully i know it will bridge this gap and help uh, the emerging career aspirants in our industry but what else do you think global sport business education needs to do to get i suppose into the real world and maybe uh, very soon into you know the virtual reality world as well i know it's kind of a very broad question in many ways but give us some summary thoughts on some or all of those considerations Stephen, if you would you know, I think one of the challenges facing sports businesses is that they tend to be 
know, no, no bigger than, than small to medium enterprises. Okay. Yet the, the fans have big enterprise expectations uh, of them and, and of us. But also on a organisational level, that means that perhaps we don't have the, the robust training programs inside of the organisation that can continually keep the organisation uh, and the staff up to up to speed on the, the pace of change. And I'll, gi I'll give you an example of um, Coca-Cola. They, they actually have their own marketing academy in-house. And so when new talent comes in, they actually train them up uh, in, in their, the, they have their own playbook and they train them up. But they, what it also means is they are continually refining their, their practices. And so, you know, we as sport miss out on that kind of opportunity because, you know, each of us aren't big enough to have our own academy. Uh, so I think that an, an application like iSport can, can bridge yeah. that gap. And the, the good sports business conferences like it also bridge that gap. And that's why people are prepared to share. You know, we're competitors off the field, you know, um, sorry, competitors on the field on, on, on any given Sunday, but off the field where, um, you know, we're, we're happy to, to learn yeah. from each other. You know, we're, we're by default, I think, creating that that need to, to come together and learn. But, but you're right, you know, when, when the the graduates are, are coming out and coming into an organisation is totally different than, than the theory because organisations are, are pivoting at the moment, you know, trying to, to work out what the best organisation structure is, you know, what the, the new talent demands are and so on. And uh, I, I quote Ray Wang again because yeah, he's so, so influential on, in his thinking. He describes five generations in the workforce. Now, there are five generations when we take baby boomers to millennials yeah. and everyone in between, but not just on age. We can now categorise people on their, their digital capability. So it can be, you know, you can be a, a digital native like a millennial who's come through and always known that, you know, they're, they're um, mobile savvy, but it doesn't mean that necessarily they could be a good coder or a good data at an analyst or, or something like that, they still have to be trained in things, but they have at least a, a general aptitude. And then there's others, uh, perhaps they're, they're like you and me, Alan, who are digital immigrants, where yeah. we didn't grow up digital first, but we've crossed over to, to the digital side and we're, we're comfortable interacting with others um, in digital ways, in, in having digital-based conversations. And I think that you know, my course... I know it does because I'm, I think of myself as the first learner in that course uh, is because I recognised that the need uh, a couple of years ago to, to get myself up to speed with all the, the complexity. But once you understand, you know, the, the framework, then then the digital world isn't a threat. It, it's actually a, an opportunity and it's exciting. And I think the, the digital times we have now are probably the most exciting time because the potential is limitless and also... Businesses can now be personalised with fans in a way that they never could be before. And, you know, that's a great responsibility and a great opportunity for organisations to embrace. But you need to have strong leadership, clear vision, and the people well engaged in, in what that, what I call the digital line of sight is. I mean, Stephen, the digital world is limitless. I think that's almost a nice... Uh, closing stopping point in, uh, in in our wonderful interview uh, again today with you Stephen I mean again just to, to kind of put some summary closure here I think 
you know, we all have to adapt, you know, I've adapted, you've adapted, you know, we, we've gone over to the to, to the other side. But we can't rest there. And I think one of the massive duties almost, particularly in global sport, business education, is that we've got to engage with the people that we're still, you know, involved with. So gone are the days with almost this indoctrination of this almost patronising and, 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 and kind of, I believe in experts, but I don't believe in experts for their own sake or putting a, a hat on and saying, because I've done this, I'm an expert. And I think one of the beauties of today's commentary and interview and it almost goes in with the mantra that you've said, leave your ego at the door with Sia, and once you're through and with Sia, you're not afraid to change. I mean, this show of mine and interviews with people like you, Stephen, I talk about universities I'm with, universities I'm going to, universities and higher education I'd like to go to, because we're all maybe competitors in one domain, but I always see us as a family and a sharing resource. So it's something that I really want to get across in today's interview with you Stephen you've done that admirably with me as I knew you always would and we'll be doing lots more in the future so Stephen just before we finish a few shout outs for you because you've made quite a few references to things that you're involved in at the moment so give us some contact reference points uh, for going forward just before we close today's very very successful interview Stephen just one, one note I thought of as, as you were speaking to Alan is one of the things that I think defines really successful people in sport now is that they're a self-learner. So you, you were talking about those people, uh, you know, students coming out and wanting real-world experience and, and you know, uh, getting wanting to know how to, you know, gain the confidence in, in their organisation. You have to take responsibility for your own education now. You can't just limit it to the opportunities that maybe the organisation yeah. is going to provide. You need to find, okay, what's what's the sweet spot for, for me and really focus on that. And social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, joining groups or, or following people there uh, or organisations that are putting out really good content, you know, it can be delivered to your fingertips and, and, and that's really great. But, you know, people should be taking responsibility for themselves. And I think you see that the, the best performing people now, the most motivated people, are those uh, people that you can trace back to being self-learners as well. Absolutely. The, in terms of shout-outs, I put some com uh, some more content about these sort of things on my own website, which I can now launch because I've just, uh, as I said, spoken to, to Dave Arthur and right. my course is online as well, so I was looking to, to double that up. So if people... Um, search for SB1 Sport. That's S for Stephen, B for Burke, One Sport. Uh, they'll find, they can find me on Twitter like that. They can find my website like that. Uh, people are welcome to, to um, invite me to connect on LinkedIn. Um, otherwise, as I mentioned, uh, Institute of Sport or I, isport.com.au uh, gets people to uh, the place where the, the digital platform that the, the, uh, my courses has been published on Stephen marvellous interview great to connect again 
massive thank you my audience i know and all the family that we're engaged with at the moment in sport business and sport business education uh will very much value not only the content in today's interview but importantly significantly the opportunity to develop this uh through the great work that you and dave arthur and others like you are doing so i thank you enormously for that and you have a great, successful um, next period in your developing programme, Stephen. Many thanks indeed. Thanks, Alan. Always a pleasure.